when we were in Costa Rica back in January, the congregation that we were working with sat beside a cattle ranch. And thousands upon thousands of cattle would move through that vicinity uh, every single week. Uh, most of them were headed off to slaughter. They headed off to become uh, burgers, so to speak, and steaks and all those other kinds of things. Well, knowing my personality, you probably won't be surprised to know that I was extremely prepared for bugs and other such elements. I had the sunscreen, I had the bug spray, and I had done research on the region we were going to be in to try and see how bad it would be and other such things. I even made sure I had a smaller version of the spray to have with me through the day in case I needed it because I was not going to get eaten alive down there with Zika and all other kinds of things going around. And uh, when you get off the plane and you see there in the airport big old signs warning you about those diseases, you, you realize that they take it very seriously. And I did as well. I said, I don't want to deal with this kind of a thing. Well, we're out there at the auditorium, the, the outdoor meeting space, and it's in the evening time. And of course, being by the cattle ranch and now it's evening, the bugs come out. And those mosquitoes, there were quite a few of them. And we had a rather large guy with us, one, one of my companions on the trip, good guy, a little bit younger. Well, he's the very opposite of me. I'm the prepare for everything. He's the throw some stuff in a bag and let's see how it goes kind of personality. And so he comes up to me. He's like, Ben, I need your bug spray, brother. He's like, can you hook me up? And he takes that thing and he just covers himself. I mean, he's glistening in, in spray by the time he's done because he puts so much on him. And uh, I, I tell you that story because I came prepared for war. I said, these bugs, I'm not going to let them get me, right? I'm, I'm going to take care of this problem. He wasn't prepared for what he was going to find when he got there. And he paid the consequences for it. Well, I paid the consequence in the sense that I bought the spray that he used. But we have all found ourselves in situations like that, haven't we? We found ourselves walking into somewhere, someplace, sometime. Maybe it's a meeting that you were called into and you thought you were about to get a race. <laughs> and the next thing you know, you're getting a pink slip. Maybe it's a situation where somebody said, hey, I, just, I need to talk to you about something. And you thought it was just some personal issue they were having. And the next thing they know is like, brother, sister, you, I feel like you've sinned against me. And you're like, whoa, 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 where's this coming from, right? Unprepared to deal with what was in front of you. Those times are difficult, aren't they? They're hard, but most of the time we can get through them, can't we? And we can get through them. We, we, we take a moment, we catch our breath, and we say, okay, I, I've got this. You know, we, we find a way to deal with it, to confront it. What if you were to walk into a war, but you didn't know you were in a war? That'd be a little different, wouldn't it? You know, walk into a meeting and maybe it doesn't go the way you want. Maybe you do get fired when you thought you were getting a raise. But hey, listen, you put out your resume, you find another job, right? You, you, you keep living. But, but what if you were to walk on a battlefield? Imagine if one morning you walked into your walk-in closet and instead of seeing all your clothes, you walked out into the middle of the trench warfare of World War I. Would you be prepared for that? Would you be ready to, to deal with the German forces on one side and the, the Allied forces on the other side with the French and the British and, and the Americans? Would, would you be ready to, to deal with that? Would you be ready to confront that? You say, no, 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 I didn't come. I didn't come ready for war. I didn't come ready to, to fight this kind of a battle. I wasn't expecting this. And you probably try to run back in your closet as quickly as you could, right? 
So I'm going to get out of here. The reality is that you and I, right now, we're living in the middle of a war. But too many of us aren't living like we're in the middle of it. We're living in a spiritual war. The devil wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to steal your affection for the Lord. He wants to undermine your faith. He wants to make the scriptures look to you as nothing more than another good book so that you won't even pay them any attention. He wants your heart, he wants your mind, and he wants your soul. But the question isn't whether or not we're in a war. The question is whether or not we've equipped ourselves to fight it. Whether or not we've prepared ourselves for it. And unfortunately, if we don't think about this life we live as being a war with the forces of evil, with the devil himself, we're entering this life on the wrong footing. We're walking in faith with the wrong mindset. Because this is not a walk in the park, lottie dotty, it's a beautiful day kind of thing. This is serious. This is about spiritual life or spiritual death. This is about eternity, either with the Lord or, well, hell's primary advertising point is no God there. His presence isn't found. His love isn't felt. His mercy isn't known. But those are the stakes. We think sometimes about what the world would be like if Hitler had won. We were just celebrating the anniversary of D-Day recently, weren't we? Many of you probably took note of that. Thousands of men gave their lives on those beaches. They pushed inland, eventually meeting in Berlin. The Russians coming from the east and the Allied forces coming from the west, and they meet there. They end the Third Reich, as it was known. We think about it because we wonder what the world would be like had Nazi Germany not been stopped. Had Imperial Japan been allowed to continue to expand in the Pacific, what a different place the world would be, right? And we, we dread to think about that. We, we dread to think about what the world would look like if the Third Reich was still in power as a major world force, don't we? And yet you and I fight a battle that has greater consequences than any of those wars would have ever had. We fight a battle for eternity and for the souls of men, our own soul. And that's what we want to talk about over the next two weeks. This is another one of our I am's for this year. And this month for these two weeks, simply I am a soldier. We need to get out of our comfort zone. We need to get away from the lackadaisical Christianity that some of us are apt to practice and actually get serious about fighting for our souls, about fighting for the souls of our friends, about fighting for the souls of our family. It's Father's Day, right, gentlemen? You are the head of your household. You have the account for what happens in your home. It's time that you fought for the souls of your wife and your children. But you go to war of the devil. 
head to head, face to face. Our Lord did it, didn't he? You remember Matthew chapter 4? And even more importantly, you remember the cross, don't you? If there was ever a moment in the battle, in the war for souls, that was of the utmost significance, that was that moment. That's when Jesus showed that he was conquering the devil and death. Let's dig into Ephesians 6. Turn your Bibles over there this morning. This sermon is going to be divided into two parts. One today and one next Sunday. So those of you who are visiting, my apologies. I know some of you are from a distance, so you won't get part number two unless you, you call me up and I might be able to take care of you. But if you're visiting and you're local, just come back next week and you'll get part number two. Let's talk today about this idea of being a soldier. Not, not about the armor of God. That's next week. We like the armor of God. We, we like to study that and talk about that. And for good reason. We're, we're going to talk about that next week. I just want to today focus upon the need for us to set our mindset in the right kind of place. To actually acknowledge and to, well, embody this idea that we are soldiers of Christ. That we are soldiers on the march for the benefit of God and the preaching of the gospel. Notice verse 10 in the first point this morning. We need to have strength in this warfare. Paul says to the church here at Ephesus, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord. Be, be strong is an imperative. It's a commandment. Paul is telling these brethren, you need to grow in your strength. You need to be magnified in strength because of what is in front of you. Now, he's going to tell them about that in just a moment. You already know that because of the scripture reading that Brother David did for us just a few moments ago. But he's telling them, you need to grow in strength. And he's not leaving it as an option. That's why it's an imperative. It's a command. It's something that they absolutely must do. He's been telling these brethren in the first three chapters about how blessed they are to be part of the body. And now in these last three chapters, he's been emphasizing to them what it means to live and function in that body. Talking about unity and how we have to live as husbands and fathers and masters and servants and slaves and all these things. And he comes to Ephesians 6 and he's continued this theme, but, but he comes to the end of this and he says, Brethren, let me encourage you. You have to understand what it is that you're part of. And if you're going to be ready for it, you have to grow in strength. But what kind of strength? He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. The phraseology literally has a of coming alongside. He says, says, you need to grow in your strength alongside the Lord. Well, there's something to be said about that, isn't it? See, he's not encouraging them to go down to the gym in, in Ephesus and start lifting weights. He's not saying, let's see what you can match your bench press out at, right? He's not telling them that, that you need to become physically strong. He's emphasizing a spiritual strength that comes from dwelling alongside their Savior. He says you need to grow in strength in the Lord. You need to come alongside him. Well, what happens when you come alongside Christ? What happens when you spend time walking with him? Well, I'll tell you one thing that immediately changes. How we think changes, doesn't it? The, the priorities of our life change because we're thinking about life differently. When we walk beside him, it's hard not to be focused upon the things that are above instead of the things that are below, right? 
It's hard to start to get caught up and entangled in all the things below that no good soldier gets entangled in. You remember Paul telling Timothy that? It's hard to do that when I'm walking with the one who has shown me how to conquer everything and who himself did it. He says, be strong in the Lord. You come alongside him. When you walk beside him, your mind changes, but your heart changes too, doesn't it? Your affections change. Your love changes. You see, your love for the Lord grows and your love for the world decreases. Pride changes, doesn't it? See, how can you be filled with pride when you're walking alongside the one who died and gave everything for you? How can you even begin to think anything's about you? When you're walking beside the one who did everything for you. Man, our life changes when we walk with the Lord. And, and that's what Paul is reminding us. Right? He says, be strong in the Lord. You need to grow in strength. And you do that by coming alongside the Savior. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. The power of his might. We're not trying to take power of ourselves. We're going to walk alongside the Savior, growing in strength as we walk with Him, trusting in the power of God to overcome. Not in the power of me. Have you ever done this? I know I have. Somebody's trying to talk to you about something they're concerned. I mean, some of the direction they see you taking your life, a choice that they see you on the verge of making, and they come to you and they tell you, say, you know, I'm worried about you. <laughs> I don't think you've really thought this through. I don't really think you know where this is going. And have you ever responded to, to some wisdom, some advice like that and said, no, don't worry about it. I got it. <laughs> have you ever done that? Have you ever dismissed wisdom that was good, godly wisdom because you thought you had it? This is Paul saying, don't think you've got it. He says, you need to be strong. You need to grow in strength. This is a commandment. You need to grow in strength by walking alongside the Lord and trusting in his power, not yours. Don't think you're wiser. Don't think you're smarter than everybody who's gone on before you. Don't think that you can overcome this separate and apart from the brethren, not sticking in the word, not walking alongside the Lord. Don't, don't think that you have reached a point of such maturity, no matter how long you've been in the faith, that you now are immune. And you know, let them deal with those things. You know, that they, they, they need the advice of the elders. You know, that, that those weaker Christians, they need to respond to the invitation. You know, if I miss a day of Bible study or Bible reading, if I miss an occasion, it's all right. You know, no, I've grown in my faith. I know what I need to do. That kind of attitude and demeanor is a sign that you're headed straight for destruction because you start to rely on your power and not in the power of the Lord. The one who relies on the power of the Lord says, I know that the word of God discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart, and I need to know what's in my heart. So I'm going to spend time in it. So it can tell me where I'm wrong and it can show me how to be right. The one who, who is walking in the power of the Lord, he's not going to take pride when a, when a brother comes up and says, hey man, listen, I, I've seen you with your kids. I see that you, you lose your patience awfully easily. 
Can I encourage you to just let some things roll sometimes? Don't don't nitpick everything. Let you know kids are going to be kids to a degree. You you gotta gotta be patient. Discipline, but discipline with love and patience, not with anger and frustration. Well, that comes from dwelling in the body, doesn't it? And the help that that comes from the body. We talked about that just the other Sunday. But you think about 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that, that body that this morning we're discussing in Bible class that we're baptized into. And you have all these parts and each part contributes to the other. Think about the benefit of being in the body and having those who've already walked that path and made the mistakes giving you wisdom. That, that's something that comes from the Lord. He gave us each other, didn't he? So we talk about walking in the Lord and in the power of his might. Part of that's the body and the blessing that comes from it. Part of it's the shepherds that we have in the body. It's the word that is in the body and so many other things. These are just illustrations, right? To help us to understand some of what we have before. So our strength is not found in ourselves. Our growth is not going to occur from within as much as it's going to occur from walking with the Savior who will change the inner man. So when I say be strong, I'm not telling you to go down to Barnes and Noble this afternoon and peruse the self-help section. I'm telling you to open up the book and start walking with the Lord more. I'm a soldier and my strength comes from the Lord that I serve. I'm a soldier, which means I'm going to have some challenges. That's verse 11. See, if our strength is in verse 10 in the Lord, our challenges are found in verse 11. Notice what's presented before us. He says, put on the whole armor of God. And we're going to talk about the armor of God. So we understand he's admonishing us to arm ourselves with what God provides, right? It's the armor of God. It's God's armor. He fashioned it. He made it. He gave it to us. One of my favorite scenes in the Lord of the Rings movies is when they're trapped at Helm's Deep. And Gimli, who is the little short guy, for those of you who have seen the movie and may not remember, they try to give him a, a coat of mail. But because he, he, he's this short little thing, it falls to the floor and covers his feet and he looks like he's wearing a dress. He says, how am I supposed to fight in this thing, right? The armor wasn't made for him. It wasn't situated for him. It wasn't right for him. And so trying to wear something, it didn't work. This armor that we are called to bear, it's God's. And it's fashioned particularly for his people because he knows the challenge that we have to face. We believe he's all-knowing and all-powerful, don't we? Well, if we believe he's all-knowing and all-powerful, then ought we to believe that the armor he can give us is the right armor for the job? It's his armor. So Paul says, put on the whole armor of God because there's a challenge in front of you, and that challenge is Satan himself, the devil. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I love that word wiles there. It literally means schemes or plans. And not in the positive sense, right? Any negative sense. In that sense of, what, what are you scheming at again? <laughs> what trouble are you trying to get in again, right? That, that's the idea of the word. Have you ever asked your kids that? So I see it in your eyes. <laughs> what are you planning to do? <laughs> I'm just going to jump off the porch, Mom. You mean the second story porch is 20 feet up in there? Yeah, that one. Hold on. I don't think you ought to be doing that. right? That, that's that kind of idea in the word here, except when we're talking about Satan, 
his schemes, his plan, it's not jumping off a 20-foot porch. It's him pushing you off of a 20-story building. It's him trying to figure out how he can destroy you. And that's the challenge that we face. We have to put on the whole armor of God. We have to count ourselves as soldiers in this battle because we are facing a, a foe that, for one, knows our weaknesses. Doesn't it? Is there anyone in this room who, who would believe that the devil doesn't know our weaknesses? See, I don't see a hand going up. We, we know he knows. We face, a know who, we face a foe who knows our weaknesses and who knows how to be successful in destroying men. Doesn't he? Think about your friends and your family who mentioned earlier that we need to step up and go to war for. How many has he won? How many, have, how many souls in your homes, in your extended family, how many have, how many belong to him? We're not stupid, are we? My kids are probably back there thinking, you're not supposed to say that word, daddy. We're not stupid. We know he knows how to get at us. Anyone who's tried to live for Christ any length of time realizes that, right? And you also realize by now, he doesn't give up just because you put on Christ. In fact, it's almost like he looks at us now and says, okay, that's more of a challenge. I'm game. Right? Isn't that how it seems? Well, if he hates God and everything that is his, it would only make sense he's going to hate us too, doesn't it? Because the servant is not above the master, right? Servant's not above the master. If the Savior suffered, then certainly we're going to do, aren't we? So the challenge we face, we face a, we face a crafty opponent. Paul, in fact, will write in 2 Corinthians 11, 12 through 15, and describe the servants of this one as those who can transform themselves into angels of life. They can make themselves look like they are one thing when they're another. The Lord referred to those folks as wolves in sheep's clothing. The devil wants to destroy God's people. And by the way, it's interesting here that Paul chose for us the name that he did. It said, the wiles of the devil. In the New Testament, we have two primary terms often used to describe the evil one, Satan and devil, right? Those two are, are more commonly used than any other. Sometimes just the phrase the evil one, but, but those are the two most common. And what does devil mean? Do you remember here? The wiles of the devil? The wiles of the slanderer. The word relates to the, the one who slanders. Well, what, what does a slanderer do? A slanderer speaks falsely of you, right? Is that what a slanderer does? It's someone who tries to speak evil of you, unwarranted evil, tries to say all kinds of things about you. You ever had anybody in your life who did that kind of thing? Man, dealing with the slander is one of the hardest things to deal with, isn't it? Because they're out here saying you did this and this and this, and now you have to prove you're innocent, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of how you feel. I'm not saying you actually have to, but that's how you feel. You're like, I, I've got to show people I'm innocent. One of the hardest things to do is to prove you're innocent. Without witnesses who could testify to your innocence in that. Folks can lie about all kinds of things, say all kinds of things. The devil lies, doesn't he? 
Remember Job, Job chapter 1? Remember how the devil comes before God? He says, the only reason he serves you is because you won't let me touch him. You bless him. You take good care of him. If you took your hand away, Job would curse you. Is that slander? Yes, it's slander, isn't it? It's borne out by the book of Job. Because when God allowed his house and his family to be touched, Job didn't curse God. And when God allowed Job's body to be afflicted, Job didn't curse God. Yes, Job had to work through it. He had to struggle. And he had to come to a point where he understood as much as he was going to understand. God is in control. Don't worry about it. Just keep trusting him. That was slander. The wiles of the devil. The devil is a slanderer. He's going to do everything he can to try and paint us as anything but who we are. And if he can come you and deceive you into showing yourself to be something other than what you are, he's going to do it. The challenge we face is a challenge at the hand of the slanderer himself who wants nothing more than to deceive you and me into doing that which we ought not. Our strength comes from the Lord, and we need that strength because the challenge that's in front of us is one of confronting the devil himself. But our enemies are many. That's verse 12. It's not just the devil, is it? Have you, have you read verse 12? Read it again with me. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. He says we are fighting a battle. We are in a war with powers. Principalities. The rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Not with flesh and blood. He says this isn't a war that's going to be fought with guns and knives and spears and whatever else you can come up with. You know, nowadays, our weapons are obviously a little more advanced and destructive, right? I remember joking growing up, you know, close only counts in horseshoes, hand grenades, and nuclear weapons. You don't have to get right on top, right? As long as you're close, you're going to do the damage. He's saying it's not about me and Dan having a, a tussle with each other. He's saying that this is bigger than that. He said this is a fight about the souls of men. This is a fight for our souls themselves. He says, and the powers we fight against, he said, they're, they're heavenly, they're, they're spiritual. Now those powers can be embodied in flesh and blood, can't they? As we referenced earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. But I want you to focus on a word here. I want us to understand how close of a battle we're fighting with, with these enemies. We know our strength comes from God. We know our challenge is at the hands of the devil himself. And so we're going to face these enemies, verse 12. But Paul uses a word here that's translated wrestle. He says, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with. This is the only time in the New Testament this word shows up. And it's a word that relates to exactly how it's translated. The idea of close, hand-to-hand, in-against-each-other combat which at the time was becoming extremely popular and had been for some time, but in particular this time becoming extremely popular in Ephesus and some of the surrounding regions. 
So Paul's not painting this picture of modern warfare that we're used to, right? They, certainly there's still some on-the-field combat, but, but we're often with firearms and such, you know, shooting at distances or, or somewhere on a naval ship, and, and we're firing Tomahawk missiles out or flying a plane, and we're dropping bombs. Or we might not even be there. We might be behind a joystick and a computer screen controlling a drone that's going to lay a missile on some rooftop somewhere. To some degree, modern warfare separates us, doesn't it? To some degree. Not always, but to some degree. Ancient warfare didn't work like that. They didn't have artillery as we know it. Most of the combat would have ended up happening hand-to-hand -hand in close quarters. And Paul uses a word here to speak to this idea of being up close and against each other. To say this battle that you and I are fighting, you're not going to be able to fight it from a distance because it doesn't work that way. These enemies, so to speak, the devil himself, so to speak, he's going to get right in your face. And you're going to have to go hand to hand with them. He says that's how closely tied we're going to be in battle. We won't be on a hill watching it. We'll be right in the midst of the skirmish. Now that ought to change the way we think about this fight that we're in. I'm not fighting powers at a distance. The devil's going to bring it right to my doorstep. He's going to get right in my face. Those that are enemies of righteousness and good are going to come right, and I'm going to have to fight them, in a sense, hand to hand. There's going to be close quarter combat. And think about the armor of God we'll study about in a little bit. Yeah, you've got the shield and such, but you've got a sword, don't you? A sword is not a weapon of distance fighting, is it? The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, that's a weapon that's used up close and personally, isn't it? Sometimes we, because of our modern technology, I'm afraid we're too removed from things to appreciate what some of the folks reading the Bible in the first century would have appreciated right away when they saw the language. I hope this helps us a little bit this morning to understand that yes, our strength comes from the Lord, that yes, our challenge at the hand of the devil himself, but our enemies, they're not going to stand at a distance and lob stones and such, and we can kind of step this way, step that way, and, and oh, look, this isn't too bad. That's not how it works. You're going to get right up in your face, and they're going to challenge you, and they're going to kill you if you're not ready. Don't think the devil won't come to your doorstep, because he absolutely will come knocking. Doesn't that remind you of the words of our God to a certain, we'll call him young man in Genesis chapter 4? You remember the words of God to Cain when he was angry? Angry because his brother's sacrifice was accepted and his wasn't. Do you remember what God said to him? Turn over there to Genesis 4 for just a moment. I want to remind us of the words of our God because this is exactly what Paul is telling us right now is happening. Cain experienced it head on and it came 
Did Cain come out victorious? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Beginning at verse 3, And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground of the Lord. Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, and he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. Now Cain put himself in this position, didn't he? We know later Abel offered his sacrifice by faith. Cain didn't. Cain did not respond to God the way he knew he should have. And so he's angry now at God. Sometimes we're like that too. We find ourselves in situations we haven't been living right and now bad things are happening. We're reaping what we're sowing and we're blaming God for it and we're saying, what's going on here? Notice God's response to Cain. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. Says so you, you should be able to conquer it. You should be able to overcome it. There's no reason why you should fall prey to it. But we know that he will. And yet the warning of God is so important for us. Remember, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. And that's personal, isn't it? Sin and the forces of evil and wickedness and all this, they're not these forces out in, in the ether that we may come into contact with, we may not in our life. That's not how it works. Remember even in the model prayer, deliver us what? From evil. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Even in the model prayer, Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray that when sin is at the door, don't allow us to fall prey to it, but deliver us from it. So when Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and he tells them that they are wrestling against these powers, he's saying the exact same thing that God said to Cain years ago. Sin is at the door and its desire is for you. These powers of wickedness want nothing more than to devour you, but you're going to have to engage with them and overcome. And God told Cain, you should rule over it. You, you shouldn't fall prey to it. You can overcome it. And that's what Paul is telling the church at Ephesus. He says, if you have your strength in the Lord and understand that the challenge from the devil is coming, so arm yourselves, adorn yourselves with the armor, face your enemies head on. And if you do that, if you prepare with the armor and with prayer, you can overcome. Notice verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Now skip down to verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. We'll talk about the armor. We'll talk about the righteousness. We'll talk about the faith. We'll talk about being shod of the preparation of the gospel peace. We'll talk about that next week. But right now, I want you to realize our strength is in the Lord. Our challenge comes directly from the devil. Our enemies are numerous and they're at our doorstep. But our preparation... By taking the armor of God and staying constant in prayer, when we prepare, when we spend time in prayer, well, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. I'm a soldier. Brethren, if you don't think you're at war right now, you are deceiving yourself. If you don't think that the devil wants nothing more than to devour you right now, 1 Peter 5, then you are deceiving yourself. Yourself. 
If you don't think you have to go face-to-face, eye-to-eye, close-quarters combat with these powers that want to have you, if you don't think that sin is at your doorstep, you are deceiving yourself. And you have walked into the middle of a warfare that you're unprepared to handle. But if you and I grow in strength by walking alongside the Lord and relying on His power, if you and I understand that our challenge is from the devil himself, and so we're going to prepare ourselves, if we realize we're going to have to go hand-to-hand with the forces of darkness and defeat them with the power of God and the strength that comes in Christ Jesus, if we're prepared for that by putting on the armor of God and staying diligent in prayer, then when sin comes to the doorstep, well, as my dad would say, we could kick its tail. But it's not because of how powerful we are, is it? But it's because of the Christ we walk with, the God we trust, the armor we bear that is from him, and the power of prayer as he moves mountains. I'm a soldier. You are a soldier. We're in the fight for our lives. Not the fight of our lives, the fight for our lives. Now, how we live, what choices we make, what we're going to do, it will determine the outcome of this battle. So are you prepared? Is your mind in it? Do you realize what you have found yourself in? More specifically, what you have chosen by obeying the gospel. Brother, sister, if you're struggling, if you're in this fight and you feel like you're losing it, This morning's a great chance to let that be known. We've got shepherds who want to help you. They're here in part to help protect the sheep from the wolves. They're willing. I know the three of them are willing. If you're struggling because you haven't been studying You haven't been praying. You you haven't been adorning the armor of God. I know we haven't studied it yet in diligence, but but most of you already know what's involved there to a degree at least. Then, friend, repent. Get right. Commit yourself to the battle that is before you. And if there is one here today who has not obeyed the gospel of Christ, let me tell you, the devil wants nothing more than for you to stay where you are right now. Outside of the body, without salvation. He wants you lost. And if he can keep you lost, he's happy as can be. But the Lord went to the cross so that you could be saved. He has already won the victory, hasn't he? If you don't believe that, read the latter part of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And you will see he has already overcome. He has already gained the victory. And those who are in Christ will overcome as well. 
And so today you need to put on Christ. If you've studied and you know what you need to do to obey the gospel, you know that hearing that word, you need to believe and believing that word, you need to repent and confess and be immersed for the remission of your sins. Then this morning, do that. Kick the devil out of your house. Get him off your doorstep. Take the sword of the spirit to him. He can't stand before it. Be transformed. Be renewed. Be changed. In obedience to the gospel and continued trust and faith as you walk in it. I'm a soldier. I'm in the Lord's army. Kids love to sing that, don't they? Trying to instill in them a thought, an understanding that they're at war. They're at war with the one who wants to destroy them. It's a cute song and the motions and such. They, they leave us smiling. But the message is greater than the motions, isn't it? Trying to instill something in them. Something that I think sometimes we grow up in because the song's cutesy, we forget. That we too are in the Lord's <laughs> army. That we have a fight before us. That I'm a soldier. Strength is in the Lord. The challenge is from the devil. The enemies are plenty. But if we prepare by adorning the armor and staying constant in prayer, my friends, we can overcome in Christ Jesus. If you need to respond to the invitation, we encourage you to do so as we stand and sing the song selected.